Hey, welcome to the Scottsdale Podcast. On this episode, we are featuring a message given at our women's ministry event called Come to the Table. This message focuses on the importance of biblically authentic friendships. Enjoy! So for those of you that I um, have not met, I am Jamie Bentfield. I'm the Women's Discipleship Coordinator here at Scottsdale. And I am super excited about being here and to be able to speak. And you're right, Rach, that flower, that, that plant is right there. I'm going to look over again. Might here, might go here, right? Um, I, uh, this is the first time I've ever done anything like this, meaning um, uh, that I have written out what God has laid on my heart and that I am in front of all of you beautiful women and, and going to share. Um, y'all, this hard. <laughs> For those of you that have done this before, like, wow, I'm going to be praying consistently for you as you've done this. Um, But it's also exciting because uh, um, I'm excited about just opening myself up and being a um, a transparent um, woman of faith and sharing what um, God has laid on my heart. All right. So if you were at our last event, I shared that um, I wanted us as a community of believers here at Scotts Hill to grow in transparency, to be vulnerable with each other. So as I was thinking of this event, come to the table, um, just kept coming to my mind. The Holy Spirit would just bring it back to, my, um, to the forefront of my mind. And so um, when I think about coming to the table, it serves as a gathering space in most of our lives. Most of your homes, you gathered to eat at it. We gathered to eat at it even this evening right? Maybe you read your Bible at the table. Maybe there's homework that is done by yourself or children. Currently, there's probably a lot of, a lot of either us in the room or your spouse that are actually working at the table, right? At our house, we love to have family and friends over, and, and we love to play cards and games at our table. It is, it is something that we do on a weekly basis, But if you could imagine, just for a minute, if your table could talk, I know, completely unrealistic, your table's not going to talk, but if it could, what would your table say? Maybe your table would share conversations that are full of joy and those uh, uncontrollable laughing fits that you might have, right? Maybe it would have... um, uh, be able to even share the, the smiles that are plastered across your faces, um, maybe from the last vacation or adventure that you all took, and so you're reminiscing about all of that. Um, or maybe you have a new a baby that's on the way. That's not me. That's not what we're celebrating. <laughs> um, not currently, right? Um, or a grandbaby that would be um, on the way. Maybe it's just the dad jokes that, oh my goodness, they continue to come and yet people still continue to laugh at them. Or maybe it would be a little bit more of sadness. Maybe it would be frustration or anger that your table would share. Maybe tears that have fallen and continue to fall from losing a loved one. Maybe it would be about the discussion that you and your spouse are having from a rebellious child. Or maybe it'd be about your husband sharing that he's addicted, addicted to alcohol or or something else. Or it might be that 
he shares with you that he just doesn't love you anymore and that he wants a divorce. Another side of it is that it may be that your table wouldn't say hardly anything. It would just be silent because if you were really honest, there's not a whole lot of conversation going on at your table. We share the stories of our life at the table. And for each of us, it looks different. When I was growing up, I grew up in Michigan. I lived there for 17 years before we came here in North Carolina. So whether in Michigan or in North Carolina, I remember well that my parents, they, they modeled hospitality well. Our doors were always open, whether it was entire families that, that they were having over and that we were celebrating or having a party or just gathering or playing cards, whatever it was, or whether it was them allowing me to have a girlfriend or two or maybe even three, over um, for the night, which ultimately ended up being two nights, or maybe three nights. Um, thank you, Mom. I don't tell you thank you enough. <laughs> um, maybe that's what you had, something similar to my experience. But there may be others that didn't have that. And maybe now you follow, followed in the same pattern, that you recognize that making space at the table for another to join you or when you join another table, that you're acting with intention and you're willing to be transparent to show others the real you. Just as Rachel shared, those first 18 years of life, she didn't show someone the real her. It's hard. It's challenging. You know, we're wearing, we're wearing masks now because of, because of the pandemic, but we've worn masks for a long time. You wear that I'm happy mask, the oh, I'm all together mask, or maybe it's the I don't need anyone mask, right? If, you, if you've listened to the radio at all, that Matthew West song, Truth Be Told, you know, a lot of times we say, oh, I'm fine, I'm fine, but we're really not. We're really broken inside. We wear these masks because we want to give the appearance that we're good. We got it all together. because we worry so much about what other people think about us. We don't want them to think that we're weak or that we're um, incompetent. So it's the fear of man that, that is so huge of the way that we act or we don't act. But coming to the table can be transformative. When we find ourselves welcomed at a table, we may find ourselves loved and accepted, no longer feeling alone. This also opens up space for us to show who we are. And that includes the good, the bad, and the ugly. So my prayer tonight is that God will show us how he desires us to show up as women in the Scottsdale community. That he will show us through scripture that we are called to have a transparent and authentic relationships with one another. So would you join me in prayer now as we bring our requests to him? Father God, thank you. Thank you for the love that you have for us, that you've already come before us this evening, that you've prepared the hearts of each of these women in the room right now. God, I come to you humbly that all of the words that come out of my mouth this evening would be of you, Father. I want to pour out all of myself 
And that may all the glory be yours for the heart transformations that may come from the work of the Holy Spirit this evening. Father, calm my heart. May I slow down in my speech. May I speak clearly and boldly that you will have all the credit. I thank you for the work that's already been done this evening in each of us, for the friendships that have already been um, formed. I pray that you will continue to work here, God, and that if anyone is here this evening that does not have a personal relationship with you, Father, draw them to you. Open their eyes, open their heart, that they will be so convicted that they would not be able to walk out the doors this evening without giving their life to you. It is in your precious son's name, Jesus Christ, that I ask all these things. Amen. So when thinking of uh, a friendship to talk about that would be a biblical, authentic, transparent, and vulnerable, um, there were a lot to choose from, but I landed on David and Jonathan's friendship. All right? So if you would, go ahead and grab, if you have your Bible, your Bible app, it'll be up here on the screen. It is um, at 1 Samuel 18.1 that we're going to turn to. And so as you are looking and finding your place, um, let me paint the picture of where we're, where we're kind of at in Scripture. All right? So Saul is the first king of Israel. Jonathan is his firstborn son, which means that Jonathan would have been the next king in Israel. But his father, Saul, had disobeyed God, to the point of having the kingdom already taken away from him. So God had already chosen another king, which was going to be David, to be the next king of Israel, although that wouldn't happen for about another 20 years. Most of you probably know the uh, story of David and Goliath, and so that has just taken place. David has killed the, Goli killed the giant Goliath, as we remember in Sunday school, right? Um, and he actually is still holding this Philistine's head, I love the way that 1 Samuel 18.1 describes their friendship. It says, As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, and even his sword, and his bow, and his belt. Wow, right? The first encounter that he has with him, or at least what we read here, um, to go on, their souls are knit together. They're knit to one another. They immediately have this bond. And I don't know about you, but like, oh, to have friendships that are like that, right? How many of you would say, yes, I have had that one-time connection and really been connected to someone. All right, cool. So you guys know what that is. You know what that feels like. Because um, be honest, right? Uh, the world that we live in now, friendship is often defined by how many Facebook friends we have. You know, or Instagram. And I might be missing out something else, but uh, we interact and we stay connected um, all on social media by when other people have posted photos of their family vacations and what's going on in their life, their kids' accomplishments. Um, there can be lots of feelings of loneliness that we could have because all of these online connections are happening. Maybe you're in them and maybe you're not. But our first world lifestyles 
of being over busy, overstretched, and overscheduled, they all work against developing or nurturing friendships. It offers the illusion of companionship without the actual demands of friendship. Yet God created us to need more than just superficial social ties. Which brings us to the first point. He created us to have biblical, biblically, ooh, see, I know it was going to happen at one point. He created us to have biblically authentic friendships. So you might be like, oh, all right, what does that really mean? Here's a working definition that I found that I really liked. Biblical friendship exists when two or more people bound together by a common faith in Jesus Christ pursue him and his kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. So in David and Jonathan's friendship, as we're going to break down and dig in a little bit deeper to this, we're going to see that we actually find three truths about biblical authentic friendships. And the first one is, biblically authentic friendships require authentic love. So 1 Samuel 18, 1b is, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And then in verse 3, it says it again. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. The phrase is actually shared again later in a couple chapters in 1 Samuel 20, 17. He says yet again, Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as his own soul. And say that once or twice. It was three times this phrase is shared in the story which is really interesting that he loved him as his own soul, um, but yet they were completely different. They came from completely different backgrounds. There doesn't seem to any be re one real reason, really, of why they actually would be friends. And yet we see a true authentic relationship form. Authentic meaning genuine, real, representing one's true nature or beliefs. So look at some of the differences. David was a shepherd. Jonathan was a prince. Jonathan had his own armor. David had a harp and a slingshot. Jonathan grew up in the palace and was trained in the art of war. David grew up in the little town of Bethlehem and was trained to tend sheep. Jonathan was the oldest son in line, in line to inherit the throne. And David was the youngest of eight boys and was to be anointed as the next king in place of Jonathan. Jonathan was the tribe of Benjamin. David was the tribe of Judea. But despite all of these differences, God connected them in authentic friendship. They were both bold, incredible man of faith who served our almighty God. This authentic friendship was clearly a gift from God. But isn't it great that God does the same thing in our lives? I love this quote by C.S. Lewis in his book, The Four Loves. It's, in friendship... We think we have chosen our peers. In reality, a few years' difference in the dates of our births, a few more miles between certain houses, the choice of one university instead of another, the accident of a topic being raised or not being raised at the first meeting, any of these chances might have kept us apart. But for a Christian, there are, strictly speaking, no chances, no we have a secret master of ceremonies that has been at work, 
Christ, who said, to his, who said to the disciples, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you, can truly say to every group of Christian friends, ye have not chosen one another, but I have chosen you for one another. The friendship is not a reward for our discriminating and good taste in finding out one another, finding one another out. It is the instrument by which God reveals to each of us the beauties of others. It's amazing. When you think about your own friendships, do you have that unlikely friendship that you guys are completely different? Maybe she's really loud. Oh, you think I'm talking about me? I'm not talking about me. <laughs> uh, oh, the other person's really quiet. I'm the quiet one, right? Uh, maybe she's the extrovert and you're the introvert, but yet somehow you just click. God desires us to have these friendships. And he gives us a blueprint on how to serve uh, these friends when they come into our lives. John 12, John 15, 12 through 15 says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. So not only do biblical friendships require authentic love, but these biblical friendships rely on substantial vulnerability, which is the second truth that we learn. If you look back at 18.4, it says, And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David, and his armor, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. So these were symbols that he was the crown prince. He was heir to the throne, and yet he strips them all off. He gives them to David. So it's clear that Jonathan has surrendered to God and that he trusted God's decision in the choice of the next king, even though that meant he would never be king. In this, we see Jonathan expressing an amazing amount of vulnerability. When someone's being vulnerable, they're making themselves susceptible to the judgment of others. Mm. Rachel was very clear on that when she shared. They're relinquishing control. Mm. Vulnerability means they don't just let you know what's going on in their lives. They let you actually see how everything is affecting them. This involves them letting down their guard and truly relinquishing control. In other words, they're presenting an unprocessed, unpolished version of themselves. Can you think about and just imagine what everyone might have thought when they saw Jonathan doing this? He completely opens himself up to the judgment of all those that are around him. I can imagine them just thinking like, what are you doing? But what sacrifice there was there. We see that Oh, the fun of technology and iPads. So we see that in um, making ourselves vulnerable, that it does require sacrifice. Because a genuine, authentic friendship involves sacrificing time, resources, emotional energy, and really our own desires. 
It means getting to know people. It means opening yourself up and being real. It means making time to spend with them. It means bearing with their failures and working to forgive them when they wrong you. It can be all kinds of messy. Or as my husband likes to use the words, it's just full of drama. Drama, that's what we are, right? But Paul writes in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. When we show self-sacrificial love, we can tell a living story to the world crying out for genuine relationships. In and through such friendship, two people who have nothing in common but Christ can tell the amazing story of the gospel, of the friend who sacrificed everything to be in a friendship with you. I love what Colossians 3, 12 and 14 says, 12 through 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So this brings us to our, our last point that we clearly see in their relationship. Biblical, authentic friendships include relentless commitment. Verse 3 tells us, Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. He loved him as his own soul and made a covenant to seal their friendship. He then gave him his robe that he was wearing, his armor and his sword. He gave him his bow and his belt. We only have looked at five verses tonight in their story. And so I do encourage you to read the rest in the next couple chapters. But you will see that there's love and commitment that they display throughout their whole friendship as it continues. There's compassion. There's honesty and kindness, loyalty, even unto death. Actually, it's after Jonathan's death. David continued to be loyal to Jonathan and his family. In 2 Samuel 9, 17 and 13, 9, I'm sorry, 2 Samuel 9, 7 and 13, David said to him, do not fear for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Verse, thing, verse 13, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem for he ate always at the king's table. Now he was lame in both of his feet. And this kind of brings us full circle, doesn't it? We began this evening by talking about the table. Think about what that table, King David's table, might have said. About that friendship that continued. And even though um, Jonathan had a crippled son, David still had him continue to eat at that table for the rest of his life. So although David and Jonathan really do have a great example of a transparent, vulnerable, truly authentic friendship, there is an even greater example out there. One with a relentless commitment from God who gave himself completely as our sacrifice because of his great love for us. 
there is no greater friendship than the one between Jesus and you. Before you were even born, he knew you. He knew what you looked like. He knew the unique makeup of your personality, your quirks, and every single experience and accomplishment that you were going to make. Psalm 139, 13 through 16 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Jesus knows it all. And that includes every sin that you have committed. And yet he came and he paid the sacrifice for all your sins when he laid down his life on the cross. He bore them all. John 14, 6 tells us, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, what a friend that we have in Jesus. Friend, if you're here this evening and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, please don't leave without speaking to someone that can completely share the gospel with you. Because you may have plenty of friends and they may be authentic. You may feel like they are real friends. But there's an emptiness there. Because there is no worldly friendship that will ever fill the void that the ultimate friendship with Jesus does. John 15, 13 tells us, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Do you hear him calling you? He is inviting you to come to his table. Even right now, we have the opportunity to respond in praise to the incredible friend we have in Jesus. He invites us to come into his presence and respond to the truth of the gospel. If you're new to this podcast and want to learn more about Jesus or our church, go to scottshill.org slash next steps for more information. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe to get notifications of future episodes. You can also share it with your friends via text message or take a screenshot and post it to your social media stories. Whatever you want to do, just make sure to tag us at Scotts Hill. Until next time.